welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And today we are going to dig into a topic that we've been talking about for a long time. And that topic is alien races. I'm so excited to dig into this one. Guys, welcome back from your rabbit holes. I hope your journeys were fun. Hope you were able to find your way back. I'm sitting here with maybe 12 pages of notes. And you would think, wow, that's a really deep dig. But no, I would say I barely scratched the surface on how deep this stuff goes. Yeah. Chad, what about you? Well, from every freaking page on Google, I've got, well, condensed down to two pages of notes. (laughs) I got nine pages. And yeah, I barely scratched the surface in mine. Mine goes a whole lot deeper. And I went deep. I just figured I didn't want to suck all the listeners down that right now. Yeah, I'm going to hit on a lot of a lot of the surface of this. And then, you know, in the future, we'll do deeper digs into certain abductions. And- well, aliens is such a broad topic, we decided we would narrow it down a little bit. Decided to go with the different species of alien. Now, according to the now ex-Canadian Minister of Defense, Paul Hellyer, there are 20 different types of, a- types of aliens. We're only going to cover three. The three most common, which are the Greys, the Nordics, and the Reptilians. Reptilians! Yeah! Now, in 2013, Paul Hellyer gave a speech at the Citizens' Hearing for Disclosure in D.C. Hellyer worked for the Canadian government for 23 and a half years. And he even states he is the first person of cabinet rank in any G8 country to say that UFOs and aliens actually do exist. And I feel like that's kind of big. But people are, like, downplaying him. You know, like, yeah, he's just gone senile. He's crazy, you know. The government are covering up. Um, He wrote a book called Light at the End of the Tunnel, A Survival Plan for the Human Species. Uh, You can also find this hearing on YouTube. It's kind of boring, kind of long. He actually reads from his book a few times in the hearing. There is a so con- this hearing was more of just a publicity stunt for his book. Well, it's actually a bunch of different people that came and talked on it, <coughs> and they talked about it in front of Congress, didn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and like any other congressional hearing, it's a lot of. <laughs> so, because this is an interesting topic, I can stand to listen to it, but it did get a little bit mundane. And But I would I would recommend checking it out. Well, one thing more than any, I am looking forward to downloading my brain and getting this information out of my head. Won't work. I can't get reptilians out of my head. They have invaded my brain. They were in your head the whole time. Ah, I just woke them up. let's go ahead and get started and we're going to start with probably the most well-known and most recognized of the alien race and that's the greys dave take it away generally speaking all types of gray aliens are slender tall and skinny lacking in muscular definition and visible skeletal structure their skin ranges in color from light gray to dark gray dark bluish gray to steel gray as well as skin tones in the tan to brown range, and they're even completely white. They are depicted as having no hair anywhere on the body, including the face. Some scientists believe the lack of natural oxygen could cause their limbs to be slender and somewhat skeletal in appearance, and could also be the cause of their gray-colored skin. They have large heads in proportion to their bodies, 
nearly non-existent ears, living in space without natural sunlight could cause them to lose their irises and pupils, resulting in completely black eyes. They have nearly non-existent noses with nostrils similar to a lizard or snake. They have tiny mouths with no lips, two arms that are proportionately longer than human arms, sometimes appearing to have an extra arm joint. Four long, skinny fingers with larger fingertips, sometimes appearing to have an extra finger joint. They have two shorter and differently jointed legs than a human. Their humerus and thighs are the same lengths as their forearms and shin. Taller grays appear to have extra leg joints. All grays are completely lacking of sexual organs. They tend to stand between three and a half to eight feet tall and it appears that their height and skin color reflect their social status. Categorized by type according to their height and observed hierarchical status relating to their behavior and the tasks they are seen performing during the procedural process that are carried out on abductees. Now I'm not going to go far into each type, but on our Patreon bonus content I'll describe the three types and all the subtypes I could find information on. So basically... The gray aliens are the ones you see depict, depicted the most in, like, cartoons and stuff. You know, the big bulbous head and the big almond-shaped black eyes. You mm -hmm. know, um, just the most common. That's reportedly what crashed at Roswell, Roswell and all of that stuff. Now, some pre-modern gray alien theory by UFO researchers and ufologists suggests the possibility that gray aliens could have visited Earth before. Gray aliens are thought to have influenced primitive mankind to build constructs such as the pyramid. It is rumored they taught primitive humans how to build, and they were worshipped by the humans as gods. Ancient cave paintings that depict individuals with unnaturally large heads and slender bodies supports the theory that the greys have been on Earth before. Do you guys remember a cartoon in the 90s? Was it Prometheus and Bob? And I think it was like a sub- cartoon on like a another show like Ren and Stimpy or like all that I don't know some 90s Nickelodeon programming but it was like a little mini thing in between it was Prometheus and Bob and it was like a caveman that was being taught how to do things by the alien I think I remember it but no, not, not, not clearly that just kind of dawned on me when you were talking about the cavemen the cave drawings and stuff like that because there was a t there was a cartoon it was Prometheus and Bob is what I believe it was and it was on yeah like cartoons inside the cartoon. I don't know. And if our listeners remember, let me know. I'll find it and I'll show these guys so they can remember it. There have also been ancient paintings that depict small objects hovering in the sky in the background. These could possibly be some of the first known UFOs, which are said to be the main use of transportation for gray aliens. Some believe that the greys left behind 13 crystal skulls on Earth before they departed. The Indiana Jones. Which it. is the worst one, but... I, I don't remember watching it. I think I've seen it, but I don't remember. Shia LaBeouf. I've seen it. I don't, it wasn't memorable. It was the first one, I believe, where Harrison Ford was a Indiana Jones, at least in a film depiction. Well, he was Indiana Jones. He, he, just, he, was, he was just there. He was training, and he was training Shia LaBeouf to Shia LaBeouf's place. character. Oh. Yeah. It was I, supposed to be his son in the movie. Spoiler. Um, but if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably never going to see it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I remember watching it, but it's not memorable enough for me to remember any plot line. 
I remember the Crystal Skulls. That's about all I remember of it, too, but I think it's because it's called Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skulls. <laughs> now, in present day, gray aliens are popular in works of science fiction and theatrical films. Now, greys have been depicted in theatrical films based on actual events, such as the Travis Walton abduction and the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Gray aliens are often associated with locations such as Area 51, Nevada, and Arizona because of the famous Phoenix Lights incident, as well as other warm and desert-like locations across the United States. Gray aliens have become popular over the years, especially since the rumored UFO crash in Roswell, New Mexico. The crash increased the popularity of aliens in the 1940s, and has even inspired a UFO museum to be opened in Roswell, New Mexico. The Roswell crash has also inspired other science fiction films, such as the popular television series The X-Files, which focused on gray aliens early return to Earth because of the Roswell crash. There's a movie that was based off of it, talks about Roswell and everything. I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. It's a newer movie. It's by the same people who did Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, Paul. And Hot Fuzz. Paul, yeah. That one's yeah. pretty funny. That's how yeah. I picture seeing Grey. <laughs> Is that the one where Seth Rogen voices? Yes, yeah. yes. That's a fun. I love that movie. That's a really <laughs> funny movie. And then who's who's the girl in it? The she was in Saturday Night Live. I cannot remember. For the, I honestly couldn't remember the name of the movie. I don't have my phone on me. I'd look and see. Let's see. She also was on Ghostbusters. Yeah, what's her name? And bridesmaids. Yeah, and bridesmaids. I don't remember the name. This is the part where our listeners are yelling. At their speakers, like it's this person. No, this. Kristen Wig. Kristen Wig, yeah. Kristen Wig. Duh, I knew that. And Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Seth Rogen, Jason Bateman, Sigourney Reaver, and Bill Hader. It has a seventy-one percent Rotten Tomatoes ra- uh, rating, which is surprisingly not bad <laughs> for Rotten Tomatoes. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, <laughs> it just fine. popped in my head. I was like, oh, wait, what's that movie? <laughs> no, it's fine. The exact planetary origin of this species is widely believed to be Zeta Reticuli, a wide binary star system in the southern constellation of Reticulum, neighboring the Orion area. Although there is the possibility that several species of greys exist, originating from different points in the galaxy, such as the Orion system. The greys are believed to have been operating on Earth for quite some time. There is the possibility that greys are a later evolution of the human species, and that overuse of cloning and genetic manipulation has destroyed their DNA and driven them nearly to the point of extinction. This hypothesis could help explain the harvesting of human tissues and cases of cattle mutilations as an attempt to refresh their own genetic makeup. Now, see, that's something that I remember reading an article on, like, Yahoo or something like that about how they plugged a bunch of information into a computer, you know, boop, 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 algorithm, boop, 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 and it generated a picture of what they thought humans would look like in the next 400 years or whatever, and it came out with a very gray alien-like species, which led to a hypothesis that they were actually time travelers. Well, there's that video, the alien interrogation that was done the video online and the alien says there she's a human from the future and I can't remember what it's called exactly but yeah it was came out in the last i'd say two three years supposed to be real but then is that the one where their heads like bobbing around a lot and... i don't know it's literally an alien in a police interrogation room oh. so <laughs> it's like well that's how you know it's fake <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, it could also be possible the Greys are collecting these samples to continue cloning themselves. Or another possibility is that they're creating a hybrid species, part animal, part human, and part alien. Man bear pig? Man bear pig! <laughs> man bear alien pig. Oh, yes. Man bear alien pig, so we don't have to worry about copyright. Yeah. <laughs> American researcher and alternative knowledge author Lloyd Pye advocates the hypothesis that modern humans are the result of genetic intervention by greys from another star system, and believes that there has been a sustained program to crossbreed greys and humans over the centuries. He believes that the Mexico's star child skull constitutes evidence in support of his standpoint. Among reports of supposed alien encounters, greys are involved in approximately 50% in Australia, 43% in the United States, 90% in Canada, 67% in Brazil, 20% in continental Europe, and around 12% in the United Kingdom. They like the Canadians, eh? Build the wall in <laughs> space. Space wall. Space We're not going to pay for it. The aliens are going to pay for it. <laughs> now, these reports include three discrete groups of greys that differ in height. Abductees claim that they recognize the leader by its demeanor. Some ufologists and abduction researchers believe that taller greys, with their increased authority and more complex psychology, may be the only grey type to be biologically alive, and that the shorter greys could be artificially constructed robot or cyborg servants. So if we were aliens, Chad would be our leader. <laughs> Why, because he's the tallest or yeah. he has the whitest skin? Both. <laughs> <laughs> If so, I failed in programming you guys. <laughs> Amy can't read. <laughs> well, you did the programming, see? That's the, That's the issue. <laughs> now, the precise origin of the description of a gray is difficult to pinpoint. In the 1893 article Man of the Year Million, the well-known science fiction author H.G. Wells envisioned the possibility of humanity transformed into a race of gray-skinned beings who were perhaps one meter tall, with big heads and large oval-shaped pitch-black eyes. According to English reproductive biologist Jack Cohen, the typical image of a gray, given that it would have evolved on a world of different environmental and ecological conditions from Earth, is too physiologically similar to a human to be credible as a representation of an alien. In H.G. Wells' 1901 book, The First Men in the Moon, he describes the moon-dwelling selenites as being short, gray-skinned creatures, big heads with high foreheads, no nose, and bulging large black eyes who walked with a strange gait due to their oddly articulated legs. He also briefly describes aliens resembling greys brought down to Earth as foods for the Martians, who were the antagonist characters in the 1898 novel The War of the Worlds. The concept was continued in comics and science fiction magazines into the early 20th century, including such works as David H. Keller's The Conquerors, which was serialized in The Wonder Stories, starting in December of 1929. Then on June 24, 1947, private pilot Kenneth Arnold claimed that he saw a string of nine shiny, unidentified flying objects flying past Mount Rainier at speeds that Arnold estimated at a minimum of 1,200 miles per hour. 
In the wake of the Kenneth Arnold sightings, the 1950s saw an increased public awareness of extraterrestrial hypothesis and flying saucer in America, leading to a corresponding increase in the appearance of gray-like creatures in cinema and television. Now, until the 1960s, the image of the gray primarily existed in popular fiction. But this began to change in 1965 when the Boston Traveler published the purportedly true story of abductees Betty and Barney Hill. Now, back to the talking about the aliens being in cinema a lot more. There was a documentary I watched on Netflix um, with Dr. Greer. Dr. Stephen Greer? Yeah. Yeah. And he was talking, in the documentary, they talked about how in order to hide the aliens, the, the idea of aliens, they put them into pop culture and popular TV and movies to make it more of a Hollywood special effect to hide them in plain sight. So also kind of to desensitize us so that if we saw them, we would not freak out as much. Also, so that if we saw them, they could just say it's a figment yeah, of our imagination because we watch too many alien movies. Or it was, yeah. or it was, yeah. Like, I think... Every parent's excuse when their kid sees a ghost. You watch too many horror movies. Yeah. Well, and there was one case, you know, where I think it's the Hill case where the, they talked about, you know, maybe it was influenced by something that was on TV. Yeah. yeah so. Absolutely. Okay, so on September 19th, 1961, in Lancaster, New Hampshire, the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill occurred. Betty and Barney Hill claimed that alien beings had abducted them and taken them to a flying saucer or saucer-shaped spaceship, physically examined and released them. The greys involved in their abduction stood about five feet tall and had broad foreheads and what some refer to as dark wraparound eyes. The Hills Greys wore what appeared to be dark-colored uniforms, trousers and a waist-length jacket, and boots that appeared to slip on, similar to Betty and Dreesen's Greys. The couple soon began to recall their frightening ordeal and sought medical and psychological assistance, attempting to understand what had occurred. This is perhaps the first widely studied case of abduction, and the Hills both described interacting with beings that closely resemble the Greys. On the 10th of February, 1964, 12 days prior to the Hills undergoing hypnosis, the science fiction series The Outer Limits read an episode entitled The Bolero Shield, which featured a hairless, noseless alien with a bulbous head and wraparound eyes. And that kind of goes into what you were saying. Yeah. However, these similarities of greys to the TV episode being are disputed, mainly because the TV being is as tall as a human, does not have a very big head, his eyes are not that big, they are not black, and he has a glowing body. Furthermore, Betty Hill maintained that she had not seen The Outer Limits and said that it was unlikely that her husband had seen the episode because he would have either been working or performing community activities during the series time. Or he was watching it at work while he was hiding in the back room. That's possible. I guess they don't have they didn't have you know Netflix and Hulu then. So. Yeah, he wasn't watching Netflix on his cell phone. <laughs> That's what my employees do now. <laughs> <laughs> Only on Black Friday. <laughs> now the term "grays" did not come into usage until many years later, but the beings described by the Hills generally fit many characteristics of the grays. In 1965, newspaper reports of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction brought Greys to international attention. The story included details from a hypnosis session conducted a year earlier by Dr. Benjamin Simon, in which the Hills described being taken aboard a pancake-like craft 
by small hairless men with no noses and slanted eyes that wrapped around to the sides of their head and being examined by them. I was just thinking that's a really different story of Snow White. (laughs) (laughs) Now on the evening of January 25th, 1967, Betty Ann Driesen was in her kitchen in Southern Ashburnham, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Now her seven children, mother and father, were in the living room. At about 6.35 p.m., the house lights suddenly blinked out for a moment. Then a pulsating reddish-orange light shined in the kitchen window. Betty calmed the frightened children while her father rushed to look out the kitchen window. (laughs) And she realized it was just the bar next door. (laughs) But he saw a group of strange-looking small creatures approaching with a hopping motion. It was a gay bar. (laughs) Five small humanoid creatures entered the house, passing right through the wooden door. Betty's family was immediately placed into suspended animation. One creature went over to her father. The leader of the other four established telepathic communication with Betty. The leader was about five feet tall. The others were about four feet tall. All had large pear-shaped heads, wide cat-like wraparound eyes, and diminutive ears and noses. Their mouths were immobile slits that reminded Betty of scar lines. Each wore a coverall blue uniform adorned with a Sam Brown type belt. An insignia of a bird was affixed to their sleeves. Their hands had three digits. Later on the clasp, they were gloved. They wore boot-like attire on their feet. They floated rather than walked. Betty's initial fright was immediately calmed by an overpowering sense of friendship. When she displayed concern for her family's welfare, the creatures temporarily released her 11-year-old daughter, Becky. From this strange state of unawareness to assure Betty that she was all right. Well, Betty was taken outside and brought on board a small craft resting on the side of the hill that sloped into the backyard. The machine was about 20 feet in diameter. It looked like two saucers, one inverted upon the other with a small superstructure on top. The small craft accelerated and apparently merged with a larger parent craft in which Betty was subjected to the effects of strange equipment and a physical examination. Then she was taken to an alien place and given a bizarre object lesson that caused her to undergo a painful yet ecstatic religious-like experience. (laughs) Betty, that was a vibrator. Now, later that night... It was the daughter, right? So No, this is is the... the, Well... This is the mother. The mother, yeah. (laughs) Now, later that night, at 10.40 p.m., Betty was returned home by two of her alien captors. At home, she found her family still in a state of suspended animation. One being had stayed behind to watch over them during their absence. When the beings put the family, still under some type of mind control, to bed, and the aliens left. Several times the aliens had told Betty that certain things had been locked in her mind. She was instructed to forget them in her UFO experience until the appointed time. She consciously remembered only a fraction of the strange encounter. The power failure, the colored light flashing through the window, and the aliens entering the house. Now Betty, a devout Christian, interpreted the creatures as religious or angelic in nature. Because the subject of UFOs was largely unknown to her. Her education had been limited to 10 years of schooling. 
Her basic interests included family, church, and community-related activities. Not until much later did she think of her experience as a possible UFO encounter. Now, in 1968, Grace became associated with the Zeta Reticuli system out of her elementary school teacher and amateur astronomer Marjorie Fish compared a star map drawn by Betty Hill to astronomical charts and determined that the 12 stars depicted on the map showed the alien's home to be a planet in the Zeta Reticuli system. Allegedly, the fourth planet of the Bernard star of the Zeta Reticuli binary system. This system is situated approximately 39 light years from Earth, and this led Grays to sometimes be referred to as Zetas or Reticulans in popular culture. I, I've only ever heard them retarded. I've only heard, heard them retarded. <laughs> I've only heard them referred to as Grays. I've never heard them called Zetas or Reticuli. Well, you've apparently not dug as deep as I have. <laughs> apparently not. Now, in 1968, the publication of Chariot of the Gods by Eric von Doniken, it involves the hypothesis that the technologies and religions of many ancient civilizations were given to them by ancient astronauts who were welcomed as gods. Now, have you read this? I've not read it, no. But we want it. Maybe we'll have to read it. I, I meant to read it for this episode, actually, and never got around to it. Fail. Basically, it's one of the biggest sources of the modern history channel show Ancient Aliens. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, I, not only do I own the copy of it, I have it on audiobook as well. Because I thought, I'll listen to it because I don't have time to sit and read it. And I haven't done either. So, <laughs> apparently, I have failed. Now, on the evening of October 11, 1973, co-workers 42-year-old Charles Hickson and 19-year-old Calvin Parker told the Jackson County, Mississippi Sheriff's Office they were fishing off a pier on the west bank of the Pascaluga River in Mississippi when they heard a whirring, whizzing sound, saw two flashing blue lights and an oval-shaped object 30 to 40 feet across and 8 to 10 feet high. Parker and Hickson claimed that they were conscious but paralyzed, while three creatures took them aboard the object and subjected them to an examination before releasing them. Hickson claimed additional encounters with aliens in 1974, alleging that the aliens told him they were peaceful. Now, one of the most famous abductions involving gray aliens was the abduction of Travis Walton, who claims that he and his friends were driving home in a truck one night, and saw a bright light coming from the forest on November 5th, 1975. Walton and his friends stopped their truck, and Walton got out of the vehicle to investigate the strange light. Walton then noticed the light was possibly a UFO. A large beam of light shot from the vehicle and onto Walton, which caused him to pass out. Walton's friends watched in horror, as they were worried that the beam of light might have killed him, so they drove away and left. Oh my god, he's dead! Well, he's dead. We better get out of here before they think we did it. <laughs> <laughs> now, Walton claims that he awoke from the light and thought he was in a hospital until he noticed that the beings standing above him were not human and that he was not in a hospital. Walton noticed that the creatures could be, and were most likely, gray aliens. The gray aliens that abducted him wore skinny black jumpsuit like suits. The creatures began to examine Walton shortly before putting a mask over his head. Travis Walton later woke up in the forest where he had been abducted, only he was wearing his clothes on backwards. This was an obvious sign that his clothing had been removed during his encounters with the creatures. 
Walton thought that he had only been missing for five hours. However, he later learned he was missing for five full days. Now, Walton later reported his abduction and drew an illustration of what the creatures that abducted him looked like. His drawings showed an average depiction of a gray alien wearing a jumpsuit-like a jumpsuit -like uniform. Now, in 1976, brothers Jim Weiner and Jack Weiner, along with friends Charles Fultz and Charles Rack, claimed that they were abducted by aliens during a camping trip in Allagash, Maine. According to the four men, hypnotic regression enabled them to recall being taken aboard a circular UFO and being probed and tested by four-fingered beings with almond-shaped eyes and languid limbs. The incident was the subject of a book, The Allagash Abductions by Raymond E. Fowler. The incident was also drawn... <laughs> Chad's over here making obscene gestures. <laughs> Just reenacting what the aliens were doing. <laughs> now, the incident was also dramatized in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and featured in the TV program Abducted by UFOs. In 1977, director Steven Spielberg chose Grays as the alien for his film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The Grays have since become the image of an alien for many UFO believers and science fiction fans. The Greys appear as the benevolent aliens in the 1977 film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And a species of grey alien-type beings called the Bith were also depicted as musicians in Star Wars of the same year. Now, during the 1980s, Greys were linked to the alleged crash landing of a flying saucer in Roswell, New Mexico that happened in 1947. They were linked by a number of publications which contained statements from witnesses who claimed to have seen the U.S. military handling a number of unusually proportioned, bald, child-sized corpses. The witnesses claimed that the corpses had oversized heads and slanted eyes, but scant other facial features during and after the incident. In 1983, Charles Hickson authored a self-published book, UFO Contact at Pascagoula. In 1987, popular novelist Whitley Schreiber published the book Communion, in which he describes a number of close encounters he purports to have experienced with greys and other extraterrestrial beings. The book became a New York Times bestseller and inspired a number of sequels. Whitley Schreiber's book Communion brought alien abduction to the public eye as a best-selling novel and later a film adaption starring Christopher Walken. Schreiber's abduction and interaction with the visitors mirror similar accounts of other abductees, with Schreiber's greys being of a more benevolent nature. Visitations and abductions featuring greys generally include medical examinations and procedures, and the appearance of hybrid beings, part human and gray, are another hallmark of these cases. During the 1990s, popular culture began to increasingly link greys to a number of military, industrial complex, and New World Order conspiracies. The most well-known of these was The X-Files, which first screened in 1993. It combined the quest to find proof of the existence of gray-like extraterrestrials with a number of UFO conspiracy theory subplots in order to form its primary story arc. Details of Betty and Barney's Hills case were used in the X-Files episode Jose Chung's From Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> Legal aliens. <laughs> in 1993 was also when the film Fire in the Sky was released, based on the Travis Walton's abduction in 1975. 
1993, alien abductee Calvin Parker started a company called UFO Investigations to produce television stories about UFOs. Other notable television programs include Dark Skies, first broadcast in 1996, which expanded upon the MJ-12 conspiracy. Which we'll have to dig into. We'll have to do an MJ-12 episode. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely really, it's a really interesting topic. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, Stargate SG-1, which in the 1998 episode Thor's Chariot introduced the Asgard, a race of greys who visited ancient Earth masquerading as characters from Norse mythology. The portrayal of greys in the media took a slightly different turn in 1995 when filmmaker Ray Santilli claimed to have obtained 22 reels of 16mm film that depicted the autopsy of a real-life grey. No way. And it was said to have been recovered from the site of the 1947 incident in Roswell, New Mexico. That's crazy. I've seen it. Now, the alien autopsy is a 17-minute black-and-white film depicting a medical examination or autopsy. The film footage was allegedly supplied to him by a retired military cameraman who wished to remain anonymous. Fox Television broadcasted the footage in the United States on August 28, 1995, under the title Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction, posted by Jonathan Frank. I think you can find this on Netflix now. Yeah, it's on Netflix now. I'm thinking, 95, 95, I was 11 years old. Wow, just a spring chick. I do not remember it. You would have been five. Yeah. <laughs> Math was working in my head. 90 plus five is <laughs> 95. I, know I was. I was making sure you were All right, right since you never know your age. But Five plus six, six is, is 11. 11. <laughs> yeah, you got it right. I just was confused for a second. Now, the program caused a sensation, with Time Magazine declaring that the film had sparked a debate with an intensity not lavished on any home movies since the Zapruder film. Now, Fox rebroadcast the program twice, each time to higher ratings, with the November 1995 broadcast winning its slot again with 11.7 million viewers and a 14% share. When was that first viewing? August 28, 1995. Okay. Now, this broadcast earned the highest ratings of any news broadcast to date. Really? Like, even, like, 9-11 footage and stuff? And that's what it says. Wow. That's what the paper physically says in front of me. <laughs> uh, that's what the website said that you got that information from. Yeah, or the book I got the information <laughs> yeah. from, which might have been wrote in 1997. Or <laughs> so, like, pre-9-11. Pre-fake news. Now, as of 2003... Whitley Stryber, author of Communion, mentioned earlier, has repeatedly expressed frustration that his experiences have been taken as alien contact. When he does not actually what they were, Stryber has reported anomalous childhood experiences and suggested that he may have suffered some sort of early interference by intelligence or military agencies, either MK Ultra or similar experiences. Roger Paperclaw. In 2006, Santilli announced that the alien autopsy film was not original, but was instead a reconstruction created after the original film was found to have been degraded. He maintained that a real gray had been found and autopsied on camera in 1947, and that the footage released to the public contained a percentage of that original footage. 
but he was not able to say what that percentage was. The title screen. In 2007, horror film Night Skies was based on the Phoenix Lights incident and featured gray aliens. In an interview published in the St. John Valley Times in 2016 concerning the Allagash abduction of Maine in 1976, Chuck Racked admitted that the abduction part of the story was a total fabrication and that he went along with the narrative for financial gain. However, he does admit to seeing a series of strange lights over a period of couple days during the camping trip. Gotta make that money somehow. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what else? The, the greatest mystery of the Greys is their agenda and intentions for planet Earth and the humans that inhabit this world. They seem to be involved in a long-term experiment, carefully following and abducting individuals, subjecting them to various tests and attempting to wipe clean the memories of these experiences. Out of all the abductions I read about, none of them were remembered by the abductees before undergoing some sort of hypnotic regression therapy. If you know of any ones that don't fit that profile, email us and let us know. So any ones that were not remembered under regression therapy? Yeah, absolutely. Now, greys are highly intelligent beings appearing to value science above spirituality. They seem to run the gamut as far as intentions go. Some greys appear unconcerned with human emotions, viewing us as simple test subjects, while other abductees report a positive and emotional connection during their abductions. It is thought that the greys hold allegiance with several other alien species, either as equals or as a slave class themselves. Abductees have encountered greys that work with reptilian aliens, and these encounters tend to be malevolent in nature, and they are subservient to the wishes of the reptilians. Reptilians! Now, others have witnessed greys assisting Nordic aliens, another group of aliens known for their peaceful and spiritual nature. Are grey aliens using humans as a genetic farm, or are they perhaps stewards of our species tracking and observing our evolution? Are they servants to other types of aliens? Are they operated as drones or living cyborgs by another force through consciousness shifting? Could they be time travelers from a future Earth? Could they be just a byproduct of government mind control techniques or part of a government-led disinformation plausibility deniability campaign? Or are they just something we made up in our own minds to explain which we cannot gain understanding of at this time in our evolution? Much like deities were constructed by ancient peoples, to explain the existence and patterns of the sun, the moon, and the weather. While greys are commonly cast as being factual or fictional extraterrestrials, a number of alternative perspectives also exist, including grey-like beings are a modern iteration of ancient folklore and myth, a future evolution of the human race, or an alien race from the future that has traveled back in time, extra-dimensional life forms, I want them to be time travelers. Yeah. What if they're time travelers from when reptilians take over the Earth, and that's what happens to the human races, become great aliens, and they time travel back to warn us and protect us, and then it doesn't, nothing happens, and the reptilians take over again, and it's just a vicious circle that's going to keep happening over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Well, my research shows that nobody ever defeats the, the reptilians. So you're proving my point. Ever. I find it interesting that the greys are, like, always the neutrals. <laughs> and they just, like, they go along with, like, the reptilians being, like, evilish. They're like, yeah, do that, master. And then 
along with the Nordics, me and the more peaceful and, you know, nature-loving <laughs> type. The Nordics are the hippies. Yeah. But they are straight survivalists. The greys? Yeah. Yeah. Now, some ufologists say that extraterrestrial beings had influence on the evolution of life on Earth. Specifically, extraterrestrials were directly involved in the evolution of primates, including humans. This was done by either genetic engineering, crossbreeding, or a combination of both. This idea gained widespread exposure in the 1968 publication of Chariot of the Gods by Eric von Daniken, and has since been the source of much controversy, inspiring numerous other books and various related theories. One of the reasons extraterrestrials are abducting certain humans lies in their desire to procreate, as well as their desire to collect and utilize particular types of DNA. The alien's desire for specific DNA has been documented by abduction researchers and abductees many times over the past 70 years. They choose people according to familial genetic lines to acquire the specific type of DNA they need. Abductees have been told that their bodies contain the equivalent of gold, and their bodies are able to create genes they desperately need. During a tall black ET encounter, this was spoken. You will give them life, a little at a time. Each time you are brought here, you will give them life. This life they speak of could actually be alien DNA, as one abductee was recently told. If it is true, then they are searching for the compatible alien DNA that lies within our bodies for their particular species. This lends credence to the theory that we did not evolve naturally, and there was some type of interference or alteration made to early humans. By the government. <laughs> the reptilians. Now, advocators of this theory of alien genetic evolutionary intervention on Earth argue that if the greys did perform genetic manipulations with pre-human life forms on Earth, that these aliens may have attempted to influence the evolution of life forms here in a direction consistent with their own genetic makeup. Similar to their own physiology and general physical structure, since that is what they would be most familiar with. The counter to this view is that the anatomy, physiology, and genetic makeup of primates and humans are extremely similar to other animals on Earth, including those with different non-humanoid forms, such as sea urchins, sea squirts, and acorn worms, and that there has been no conclusive evidence of any past extraterrestrial genetic manipulation in our own evolution. Some ufologists have offered explanations of greys by explaining them as being native hominoids to Earth, either having left or living in hiding. As Mac Tony's proposed in his book, the crypto-terrestrials, or from another dimension, as proposed by John A. Keel and J. Allen Hynek. As generally sexless beings, it is believed that they repopulate through cloning technology, while most small greys are thought to be controlled by a hive mind. Hive mind may also be known as swarm intelligence, which is the collective behavior of decentralized self-organized systems. Or in the past, aliens may have found the planet Earth and left some of their offspring or fetuses to test to see if the air on Earth is breathable to them. The aliens could have evolved into primitive cavemen and later modern-day humans. This means that we ourselves may actually be aliens. That may be why greys and humans are allegedly so similar. While the aliens left on Earth evolved into a healthy species, the greys evolved into unhealthy-appearing, somewhat mutated life forms. 
Now, one concept we have learned about the beings and about ourselves is that of a shared or dual consciousness. Some beings, including certain greys, appear to be able to place their consciousness into another body, at least temporarily. This has been described by abductees as a dual consciousness between them and the grey or another type of being. Other abductees have described the sharing of consciousness as if a life force were actually being exchanged or they felt they actually entered into a different physical body. Examples of shared consciousness or dual consciousness are when a gray appeared to die and the abductee saw its life force enter what they believed to be a blonde Nordic child or perhaps a human hybrid child who had blonde hair and pale skin. The child was alive and appeared to have its own consciousness prior to taking on that of the gray. So in, his, so in effect, his body contained two consciousnesses. Another abductee exchanged bodies with another human who had also been abducted and was able to experience all the emotions they were experiencing. In a third example, the life force of a blonde entered into the abductee in order to interact with another abductee. Two of the three remembered that the purpose of their being placed in an alien body was due to the fact that the ship was about to travel interdimensionally, and a change to the body with a different vibration was necessary. These few individuals felt a strong connection with the aliens and even felt that they, in fact, had a dual existence. Sixteen of the subjects voiced a conviction that the entities are their true forebearers. Other examples include the abductee's life force, or consciousness, entering into animals, and they in turn felt the instinctual nature and drive of the particular animal. A final example is when an abductee's consciousness entered a primate's body during a lab experiment, which was causing extreme pain and trauma to the animal. The subject described the pain as so intense that I wanted to die. Simply to have the law of doctors look at me whilst in the body of a monkey caused me severe pain. I wanted to die. These types of shared or dual consciousness exercises, for lack of a better term, occur more often than one might think. And as you can see from the examples provided, they are very disturbing and difficult for abductees to endure. There is also the possibility that Dan Wright's subjects were correct and this is done so the abductee can travel through a different time of space. Some beings also lack the level of emotions humans possess, and they are learning through us. Others appear more advanced in this area and are teaching humans about empathy for other humans, as well as empathy for animals. On a darker note, some may also be carried out as a means of punishment on the abductee. These exercises have reportedly been carried out by greys, blonde Nordics, and ET human hybrids. A particular interesting case involving this shared consciousness was carried out on what the abductee was told and saw at White Sands, New Mexico during the 1990s. The subject found themselves on a military base and in the presence of high-ranking naval officials and at least one scientist. They were told they wanted to study the alien within them. The demeanor of the Navy officials who were present was one of extreme discomfort bordering on fear. Whilst the subject believed they appeared normal on the outside, the abductee's consciousness was actually inside the gray, and they were experiencing a state of dual or shared consciousness. This is the reason why the naval commanders, one of whom was an admiral, were so uncomfortable being in his presence. We suspect they were not seeing a human, but rather a gray, and this has extreme implications on several levels. 
Dan Wright's research entitled The Abduction Transcription Project reported that three persons said that they felt that their souls had been placed somehow into the body of a gray alien. They recognized their own hands as those of a gray entity, and since there were no mirrors available, they couldn't tell what the rest of their bodies looked like. Because I guess apparently they couldn't look down or something. Now one commented that his body felt much slimmer than his normal stocky frame. You know, there we go. Some, like, alien liposuction. I'm digging it. But I was actually thinking, you know, maybe could it be that are our souls just a second, our conscious? Or is our conscious that they're talking about the soul? That was something I was wondering. And maybe that's how the extraterrestrials travel, is that they are able to separate their souls from their bodies during travel. Because that's what would kill us to move our bodies would collapse but if you're able to actually remove your soul from the body yeah and somehow preserve the i don't know i don't know just it was a thought i'm thinking maybe we just that's how you travel with light speed is you separate the soul from the body yeah that's definitely what the theory was going into yeah was one of the i think it also plays into the theory that the gray alien being itself is nothing more than like a spacesuit. Yeah. Now it might be like a living organism, but the consciousness of another entity is placed into it, so it can be used for. I've I've thought that myself because look at the spacesuits spacesuits that NASA uses. Let's say you're an alien, you're chilling on your planet or our moon, you're chilling on the moon, and all of a sudden this big cyclops looking thing. Comes oh, hopping yeah. out of a spider. That's just. <laughs> all, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you don't know what it looks like underneath the suit. You just see the suit. You're like, what the heck is that thing? With white, wrinkly skin. Yeah, with, with like red tattoo, red, red, white, and blue tattoos on the side yeah. of it. <laughs> it's all about perspective. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually been a thought of mine with the grades for a long time because of the big bulbous head. It would make sense that that was like a helmet of some sort. Yeah. And then the giant's eyes, that's your windshield. And that's why they wrap around the head. And they're dark because of the UV protection from traveling through space. So then why would you put additional clothes on over that, like jumpsuits and boots? And... Well, because you got to be fashionable. Oh, God. <laughs> hey. I mean, it's all good theories. You know. I mean, that's all Alien is, right? Yeah. It's all theory. Now, there is a theory in the UFO world that the greys that abduct people in the night aren't really aliens at all. They're us, Earth humans, from a future in which we have genetically engineered ourselves into an inhuman state to save the species. They engineered away all emotion, sexual reproduction, and gave themselves a hive mind. They're here now because, for emotionless worker bees, there is no meaning of life. They're gathering DNA in hopes of becoming human again. Now, some conspiracy theorists believe that greys represent part of a government-led disinformation or plausible deniability campaign, or that they are a product of government mind-control experiments. Dr. Stephen Grigg, founder of the Disclosure Project and head of the CSETI, claims to have over 400 government, military, and intelligent community witnesses that have offered testimony to the existence of aliens and UFOs or efforts to cover up their existence and who have stated that they would be willing to defend their claims under oath. Some believe that the gray aliens are nothing more than a figment of one's imagination, just like with any alien, 
Others believe that the U.S. government has an agreement with the aliens and that the aliens have asked the government to keep their existence a secret by hiding their spacecraft and dead and or alive bodies at secret locations such as Area 51. The Greys may believe that the human race is not ready yet for their advanced technology and want to wait to reveal themselves when the human race has prepared for their advanced civilization. Other conspiracies are countries, such as Russia, have created fabricated UFO sightings and alien bodies in attempts to throw the United States into panic. Because of the Russians' long history of rivalry with the United States, it would make perfect sense for them to create fabricated alien-related activity to compete with the U.S. However, there is no evidence that the gray aliens have ever been responsible for any Russian bombings or attacks on other countries, including the United States. Even though countries such as Germany and Russia are notable suspects for these fabrications, extraterrestrial enthusiasts believe that it may actually be the U.S. government and the central intelligent agencies creating these false alien activity sprees, although it is unknown why or how. Skeptical explanation. Neurologist Dr. Stephen Navella argues that the physical appearance of a gray does not represent a real flesh and blood creature, but that it is instead a byproduct of the human imagination. The gray's most distinctive features for the gray's most distinctive features representing everything what modern humans traditionally think with intelligence. The aliens, however, do not appear as humans. They appear like humans whose traits we psychologically associate with intelligence. Novella holds that if you were to plot the physical differences between an ape and a human and, them, and were then to apply these differences directly to a human model, the resulting human would strongly resemble a gray. In 2005, Frederick V. Malmstrom, writing in Skeptic Magazine, Volume 11, Issue 4, presents his hypotheses that greys are actually residual memories of early childhood development. Malmstrom reconstructs the face of a gray through transformation of a mother's face based on our best understanding of early childhood sensation and perception. Malmstrom Malmstrom's study offers a possible alternative to the existence of greys. The intense instinctive response many people experience when presented an image of a gray and the ease of regression hypnosis and recovered memory therapy in recovering memories of alien abduction experiences along with their common themes. So what Maelstrom's pretty much saying is when all these people who can't remember... They're just remembering early childhood memories. When they're undergoing memory... Regressions. Regression therapy. therapy. That's why... If you know of any case where memory regression therapy is not used, and these people actually remember outright their experience with any kind of abduction, that might be... Alien abduction. Let's put that in front of that abduction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> alien, alien abduction. Now, some believe that greys are the modern-day interpretation of the fairy folk, um, whose visitation is Earth, whose... Who shit? Who <laughs> <laughs> shit? No, stank. <laughs> Whose visitation? I get, I get. Whose visitations to Earth have been occurring since ancient times? 
philosopher Michael Grosso believes that greys, along with many paranormal myths and legends throughout history, are the telepathic manifestation of the collective consciousness of a community or culture. Does that kind of sound like an egregore to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Or a tulpa. And he proposes that the physical form of the gray is that of a malnourished human being, not an alien, and that grays may be a manifestation of guilt felt by the developed world over the plight of the developing world. Dun, 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 dun. So the Feed the Children commercials are the reason why people get abducted by aliens? Mm. <laughs> Doesn't want to answer that one. <laughs> you would have to go right to the source on that one. I, I mean, that's kind of what that said, right? Give me a day. Now, as far as skeptical explanation goes, I mean, I see it more that if we're imagining these things in our heads, and they're supposed to be super intelligent and non-spiritual, then yeah, they're going to have big heads. They're going to have frail little bodies. They're going to look like nerds. Yeah. <laughs> like, like nerds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like the Hollywood portrayal of it. Yeah. And they're not going to have glasses. They're going to have pretty much eyelids with no pupils and eyes, you know? That's not how I see smart people. I see smart people with glasses taped in the middle with pocket protectors and their white button-up shirts. When I think oh, of a sorry. smart person, I, I look at nerds. So when I think of a smart person, I just think of the reflection in the mirror. <laughs> that was loud. <laughs> that was really loud. That cracked the mic. Oops. <laughs> so, I mean, I tried to hit on everything. I mean, I tried to hit on it is plausible. Is it a skeptical? It is, you know, different theories and things people have. Uh, I really don't know where I stand on all this. I mean, I haven't really gone very far into it to, I mean probably if I start looking in, in that case cases, I didn't even do anything or I start you know actually reading more into these like philosophers theories and things I still believe that my conspiracy theory I said earlier which one was that the one that the greys are actually future life or human life forms that have been controlled by the reptilians after reptilians take over the earth so the greys tell or transfer back in time to try to warn us but we don't listen to them. So the reptilians take over again. And it just happens over and 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 over. The reptilians can never be defeated. Deja vu. I want to believe, but I don't want to be abducted. I really... I just want to see them wave at them. Like, hi! Yeah, I have no desire to be abducted. Like... I don't want to be probed. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm fine where I'm at. (laughs) But at the same time, I mean, it's cool to think about. I mean, it's impossible that we are the only life form in not only our galaxy, but in all the galaxies and all the universes. Earth. I mean, it's impossible that Earth is the only planet that has life when you talk about the entire universe. Especially intelligent. Yeah. Maybe they exist. And I was watching something the other day that was talking about how our our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is it's about 2 billion years away from intersecting with Andromedon galaxy. Yeah. But there's enough space between every star and all the planets that really they're just going to kind of move through each other. 
there's not going to be like an actual collision. They're just going to move through each other. But that doesn't mean that that there's not going to be some planet that comes within, you know, traveling distance from Earth at that point in time. Now we're talking, you know, what, two million, two billion years away. So we'll never know. Earth will even be here by then. Yeah, we'll kill it. But, (laughs) all right. So now that we've. Dove uh, into one rabbit hole. Yes. Now that we <laughs> Now that we've dug into one rabbit hole, let's come out with another one. Chad. Now that we've just pulled the topsoil back on the free <laughs> alien agenda. Don't worry, we're just kicking dirt with this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chad, what do you got? Uh, so I have the Nordic aliens or the Pleiadians. Uh, Nordic aliens are humanoid extraterrestrials purported from Pleiadia, or also believed to come from Venus. Uh, they resemble the Nordic Scandinavians. They are about six to eight feet tall, long blonde hair, blue eyes, mostly seen as males, but there are females, um, and they have fair to tan skin. Um, so, like you play Skyrim, you know, the Nord race, just picture that, just less dirt. So these are like the sexy aliens. Oh, yeah. The, the Chippendales of the alien race are the... Nordics. Sure. Okay. I mean, I don't picture them in Chippendale outfits, but I mean, if you want that's, to picture them, that's, that's how, you how do I it. choose to picture them. <laughs> now, Nordics are believed Bounce. to be a wow, wow. <laughs> All the ladies want to get abducted by the Nordics now. <laughs> Nordics are believed to be a peaceful race of aliens who are looking out for Earth and all of its inhabitants. Um, they really want to protect the environment. They want to lean humans to peace and tranquility and just keeping the environment safe. They're hippies, as so Amy could say. The, the sexy, hippie, stoner aliens. Yeah, man. I think I have found my race of aliens. <laughs> so they're environmentalists. They're philanthropists. They are... I mean, they have, they have a good message. Yeah. You know? They are described as benevolent or even magical beings with a paternal, watchful, smiling, affectionate, and youthful characteristics. It is said that upon contacting or seeing them, you feel a feeling of inner peace and love. Most people who contact or come in contact with Nordics fall in love with their contactee. They sound like a sexy cult leader. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Jones, the Nordic alien. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Koresh has got a little bit better on Jones, but not much. Lord Rael. Lord Rael. He was in the news recently. Yes, really? Yes. Yes. He is he he claims to have caused Stanley's, Stanley's death. death. Oh my goodness. <laughs> For us not believing in our true Lord and Savior. Lord. No, I don't want to anyway. believe him now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nordics don't uh, really abduct people. They more Damn it. <laughs> they're more of a uh, telepathic uh, connection with people. Uh, they'll speak to you. When you're speaking to them, you can see the image of them in your mind. Um, Don't they come like in like an angelic form? They're normally seen with like a bright light, kind of yeah, angelic. A lot of people say they're angelic. Dr. Stephen Greer and his organization do a lot of thought projecting out in space. Yeah. And most of what they get back is kind of this kind of Nordic philosophy. So the Nordics are just more of a telepathic race. The ones who have been like abducted by them uh, say the ships are uh, spherical or cigar-shaped ships. 
Um, kind of like that uh, asteroid or whatever it is floating around space right now. If you're Nordic, I'm here. <laughs> uh, they will not date or get in relationships with I humans. I don't want a relationship. Um, they don't I'm do married. I don't need thing. a relationship with an alien. But, <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> but if there's an video. alien race that will abduct me, that's the one I want. <laughs> <laughs> there's a YouTube video of a professor describing his interactions with his contactee and everything. and gets pretty uh, graphic with what he wants to do, but she refuses. and it, It's kind of funny to listen to. Uh, I just found it looking up Nordic aliens on YouTube. It is said that Nordics have helped other ancient civilizations um, through ancient civilizations throughout time. They describe a angelic being coming from the heavens and sharing wisdom and ideas to help improve their life, um, which is seen as it could be the Nordic aliens. There's art and stuff from these ancient civilizations that depict what could be seen as a Nordic alien. So could Lucifer be a Nordic alien? Could be. I was actually sitting here thinking of the Celtic deity Lou. Well, yeah. Falling into this, he he came from the heavens and brought. Uh, what you guys say? And art and isn't with Lucifer the fallen angel from is it something from Venus? Some, from Venus. Well, he's the morning star. The morning star from Venus, the light bringer, which all fits all into, fits into uh, the Nordic aliens. Hmm. Um, Very interesting. And if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, go to our listen to our Luciferianism episode. Uh, part one. Part one, yes. Yeah. That's episode sixteen. Yeah, it's something like that. Worth it. Now, 16, 17. there aren't a whole lot of believable abductees or people who've contact and been in contact with uh, Nordics. The most well known would be President Eisenhower. He wasn't abducted, but he was believed to have a meeting with. The Nordic aliens back in February of 1954. Uh, at this time, he was having a dental surgery, but it is believed that he was in a meeting with the Nordic aliens. But they were trying to try and get him to disarm all nuclear projects in exchange for knowledge and technology and ideas to help improve human life and the environment. When Eisenhower left, they did not come to an agreement. It is believed that he actually made a deal with the Greys receiving the same technology, or their technology and wisdom, but to keep building nuclear arms. So, you know, there's always the idea of what happened. We looked up in 1955, Eisenhower's State of the Union. He talked about how he wanted to continue having uh, countermeasures to nuclear war with the communists. There could be something to that. Yeah. Well, you know, but the theory of MJ-12 is that they've actually been, they're being mind-controlled by the aliens themselves. In that sense, maybe he went and met with them, and then he became under some mind control from another alien race to not sign that treaty, and I don't know. Like some of that consciousness shifting that I was talking about? Yeah. Nordics are also believed to be one of the higher powers in a galactic federation of aliens. The large, it's pretty much the galactic order. They're believed to be some of the heads of the galactic federation. If now, you want to look into leaving that. Now there was something that I watched on Netflix today, and oh my goodness, I can't remember the name of it, and I can't remember the name. But there was a some signal that we picked up from space, and it. I guess what they were able to convert it to was actually a speech about how people on Earth have the ability to find peace and 
we need to disarm the nuclear weapons. And it was from some commander of the galactical something or other. And it was, it was really interesting. And it's just at the very end of this documentary. I think the name of the documentary was actually um, alien contact outer space. And it's on Netflix and it's really, it's interesting if you're into watching alien documentaries. I've watched a lot of them here lately. Aliens. And the other one with Greer, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer is called Unacknowledged. Yes. And it's also on Netflix right now. I think it may be on Prime, too. I don't remember. So that's really kind of it on the Nordic aliens. There wasn't a whole lot to them. Um, pretty basic information. Like I said, with not a whole lot of abductees that... Uh, so that's about all I got with the Nordics. Oh, there's still quite a bit there. There's quite a bit of substance to that. Oh, there is a conspiracy theory. If I can remember what it is now. Oh, the, the conspiracy theory towards the Nordics to make them seem evil because, you know, everyone's got to have a conspiracy to make everyone evil. Was that the Nordics are actually just trying to get us to uh, protect Earth so that when humans die out, the Nordics can move from Venus to Earth and inhabit it. I'm fine with that, too. What else? <laughs> we won't be here. Who freaking cares, right? Oh, so they're like, take care of this planet because... We're going to be coming and taking it later. Pretty much, but they're just trying to, you know, do it politely. You know. Not unlike America does. <laughs> a lot of other countries. <laughs> no, you don't do this. you got to be nice to each other. Yeah, you got to keep your, you know, buildings nice and sturdy and, you know, don't blow them up. And then, hey, these are my buildings now. Thanks. All right. So now we're going to move on to mine. And what do you have for us, Amy? I have the most dangerous... And the most evil of all... Weighing in at 12 <laughs> pounds. Of all the alien races, I have the reptilians. Reptilians! Uh, who and what are the reptilians, you may ask? Who and what are the reptilians, Amy? <laughs> well, the reptilians are shape-shifting, blood-drinking, lizard-like species of alien... That's ultimate goal is world domination. Reptilians! <sighs> world order. Now, reptilians have been used as monsters in villains in many TV shows and movies over the years. Some of the ones that I can just kind of think of off the top of my head. Um, we've got Land of the Lost, Conan the Barbarian, Galaxy Quest. Um, I'm sure there's lots of other ones. They're also... Reptilians are... Very common, commonly used as enemies in role-playing games, like D&D and Pathfinder. Yeah, I can attest to this. Yes. Um, the reptilians are described to be between 5 and 12 feet tall. Most commonly reported by abductors, reptilians are green or reddish-brown. They have three long fingers and an opposable thumb with large talons. They have holes in their ears, or no, they have holes for their ears and large eyes. They have large muscular arms and legs, and it is said that some have tails and others have wings. But it's believed wings and tails are symbols of royalty. According to Alien... Not unlike the ponies of Equestria. We're going to get brony here? Oh, I'm just saying. Yeah. Bronies! <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that how it goes? Like, the queen has, like, a wings and a horn and... Yeah, the, the queens and princesses are... The princesses are uh, alicorns, whereas the rest are unicorns or pegasus. So, like, the what you're saying is the reptilian 
aliens, the the higher social class has wings and a tail. Yes, in theory. According to AlienUFOResearch.com, they are sighted with very little clothing except for armor and always have some sort of utility belt. And that's said to be used to make them become invisible. They're Batman. Not the aliens we want, but the aliens we deserve. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> They are the reptilian. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Got too fat to it. It is believed that the Draco slash Draconian are the oldest of the royal blood, and they are seen as white winged beings. It is believed that the brown greenish Draco are submissive to the white Draconians. It is assumed that they're is a class system based on the scale color. There is also a race of reptoid hybrids beings that are controlled by the higher class of Dracos. So there's theories of reptilian greys, reptilian Nordics, reptilian humans, um, that are all controlled and slaves of the Draconians. And they make, they're the, they have the hybrids because they're easier to control when they have the DNA. As for reproductive systems, the reptilian is believed to, or they, they carry their eggs inside them, and then they hatch and they give live birth. Now, they, some of the powers and abilities of the reptilian race, huge strength, molecular shape-shifting, a hologram system to emulate human appearance, telepathy. Why would they need a hologram system if they can shape-shift on the molecular level? That way they Just don't even have, that way they don't even have to be in this plane of existence. Oh, because they can only use these abilities so many times per day as per the DM as per the monster manual. Telepathy, invisibility, and cloaking. Now, there are two basic theories to where these aliens come from. One is that they came here millions of years ago from the Draco star system. Another is that they are actually native to this planet. In fact, there is a um, interview with a reptilian on YouTube. She said, this reptilian on this interview said, was that they are, in fact, descendants of the dinosaur who fled underground and that it was not an asteroid that killed the dinosaur, but, in fact, a galactic battle that happened in our atmosphere. Now, almost every culture in the world has some type of reptilian history or mythology. The Chinese, of course, you have the Chinese dragon. It's very common. Now, the Chinese dragon is actually a good luck, unlike a lot of the dragons in other cultures where, you know, they were evil and whatnot. In Islamic mythology, the jinns are creatures of smokeless fire who sometimes appear as a snake-like being. The gems were created by God and exist under the same rules as mankind. Some seat researchers believe extraterrestrial entities have influenced humans since the beginning of human history, creating cultural practices around their likeness. It's believed that the Anunnaki of the Sumerian mythology were in fact an ET race of reptilians that came here and used humans to as their slaves to do their bidding. There are also claims that the snake from Genesis was in fact a reptilian being who convinced Eve to break the oath to God by tasting the forbidden fruit of knowledge. 
And then you also have stories of like the Naga and other reptilian dragons and dinosaurs and all that type of stuff. I wish dragons were real. Yeah, they might very well be. Snake hybrids like Medusas and yeah, Gorgons. Yeah, Gorgons. Yeah, Thank you. I can think of it. So there's a lot of reptilian mythology. The Hydra in Greek mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All kinds of stuff. Now the ships are often described as uh, cigar shaped or silver discs. So that seems to be the pretty much tepti- the the accepted description of almost every ship out there. <laughs> now, it could also be argued that they all fly the same kind of ships because they're not actually making these ships. Another alien race is the one who makes them and then mass menu, ma- mass produces them for sale <laughs> on the intergalactic market. <laughs> I just see the commercials now. Come on now, to Fred's Automotive, where we've got your spaceship that'll get you to point A to point B in 2.7 seconds. And what Amy's telling to mention is that Fred is actually a mantois. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, how you can tell tail how you can tell if you have reptilian blood. <laughs> now you're stuck in that accent. I, I am. <laughs> I need tail. You broke Amy. You broke Amy. <laughs> Someone turn her off and turn her back on again. <laughs> the only accent I can do <laughs> is a country accent. Because I don't think it's actually an accent. I think it's actually something that I speak. Ugh, all right. <laughs> Grounded. <laughs> all right. How you can tell if you are actually an alien hybrid or a reptilian hybrid. You have green or hazel eyes that change colors, but they could also be blue. Sure. Check. True red or reddish hair. Check. Low blood pressure. Nope. Not me. That would be me. Extremely low blood pressure. Keen sight or hearing. (laughs) Nope. Nope. All three of us have glasses or contacts, <laughs> and Dave's half deaf over there. <laughs> That's not genetic, though. ESP. Yeah. ESPN and ESPN2. <laughs> UFO connections? No. Mm-hmm. I've seen one, but it very well was probably a weather balloon. A weather balloon. A love for space and science? I'd say, yeah. I think yeah, it's I interesting. Piercing eyes. No. A sense of not belonging to the human race. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. A deep compassion for the fate of mankind. No. Nah. I do. I do. I'd like us to succeed, but... I gave up. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. Uh, psychic abilities. Yeah. Psycho abilities? Sure. Or psychic. I mean, psycho if you're a reptilian. Unexplained scars on the body. Now I can tell you where each one of my scars yeah, is coming yeah, from. I, I find new ones every day. That's scary. Chad's a lizard. Uh, capability to disrupt electrical electrical appliances. I thought I was doing this on Friday. If it's a computer, then yes. Yeah, Chad can break a computer. Just by staring at it. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> Alien contacts. Check your phones. Make sure there's no aliens in there. 
I mean, I have some Mexican friends. Does that count? <laughs> well, are they legal or are they? Okay, then no. <laughs> I guess they could be legal aliens. <sighs> All right. So if you have, I guess, any of those, it doesn't break it down. But if you have any of those, you could be a reptilian. Or is it more like the DSM-5 where if you have four or more? And Let's go with that. You have four or more of those, then you could very well be a reptilian. No, then I could be a reptilian. Yeah, I think you also fit the classification of a Nordic, too. My hair's not blonde. Yeah, it used to be. But anyway, if you think you might be, maybe go get yourself some memory regression therapy. Sure, why not? Sounds like fun. Speaking of, in my first abduction story, from auroricmedia.net, and that's A-U-R-I-C-M-E-D-I-A.net, which is basically just a blog where he talks about stuff that he... Or they, that finds it interesting. But he had a couple of different positive reptilian stories and I decided I wanted to go with positive because as I was digging into reptilians it got dark and scary and I needed I needed sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) But the first story he has is about a lady who encountered her alien, I wouldn't even say it's an abduction, but it's a her alien encounter through regression therapy. Her name is Rosalind. The woman Rosalind was a Pleiadian in another life. So this also goes back to our past lives episodes. Oh, which is episode four? I don't remember. That sounds about right, too. There's two of those, two. The woman Rosalind was a Pleiadian in another life. She came to Earth in a mothership from the Pleiades approximately a million years ago, in the, at the time of Lumeria. She also interacted with Syrians on, on their ships and dolphins. I will quote from her. We have to colonize and bring love. This energy is not on the planet. And we have agreed to do this to help the life forms evolve. We feel good about this. It is part of our service for the creator. The only way to know that the creator, the only way to know the creator is through love and service. We love all and serve all. There is one little memory that is very clear, and I would like to say it. It was after we had been on Earth for a while and had been through some great hardships. There was one reptoid who was helping us. I was amazed at how well the reptoid was adapted to the Earth situation. The reptoid stemmed from Orion. He was able to cope with the environment better than his better because his skin was different than ours. He was able to do much more than we were because we were so delicate. I wish I was more like him. There were many times when I thought when this thought came up and it seemed to be reptilish. This is because he could cope with emergencies and he didn't even have he didn't even have any drama in his life. He just lived and tackled whatever it was he was doing. Nothing to him was an emergency or a drama. Nothing valued was more important than anything else. Everyone, Everything was just an action to God. He made my life easier to live because he could cope on earth so much better than I could. He was, he was of great assistance and he did things to keep us alive. That was, the simple, that was simple for him, but very difficult for us. His skin was much tougher and scaly, like a crocodile. 
It was suitable for the Earth's conditions, much more than our skin, which tore easily and was very fragile. In this life, I always thought that the reptilian skin was repulsive. Yet, in my memory, I rather admired it for its usefulness in the Earth's climate. I remember the incredible gratitude to him for his protection, and I know he loved me very much. He thought my form was exquisite, and he loved my skin. He saw his work for us as a service to God. So that was her her story about a reptoid. That sounds remarkable. This next story is about a... It's from the same same website. And it's about a lady we're going to call Ellie, who is... Re, he, she is telling this story for a friend who apparently has had communications rep, with a reptilian. I am presenting this message as told to me by my close, trusted friend, Joy Delight, who is also... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just a great fake name. (laughs) It was also my contact with my father's ship. And at the request of the ruler of the underground reptilian beings, she told him we would be happy to speak on their behalf. I will refer to her as Joy in the following message. It is the time for the people of Earth to know the whole truth. There are reptilians who wish to join us in the light. I was waiting for the right time to address the subject of the reptilians and was happy to see the recent posting by Sue Potter and John Winston that gave me the opportunity to share Joy's experience with the reptilian race. In 1961, Joy suddenly and unexpectedly confronted by three reptilian beings. She was 21 and knew knew about UFOs, but had no knowledge of alien beings. She and her husband were living in Oregon. He was in the Air Force. There was about six foot of snow on the ground, and she had no phone. Her husband had left on November 6th. The entities appeared the next night. She and Reddy, her little dog, were in the bedroom preparing to retire. Her bedroom was situated so that there was a door into the living room and one to the kitchen so that she could see into both rooms from her bedroom. That night, they appeared beside the refrigerator in the kitchen. She was scared stiff. She thought she was seeing things. She could not believe her eyes, but her dog saw them and was growling at them. She pulled up the covers over her head and slowly peeked out to see if they were still there. They didn't say anything, just looked at her for a long period of time, and then disappeared. From November 7th, 1961 to about January 7th, 1962, they appeared every night, making no sound, remaining by the refrigerator. They never crossed over into her bedroom. They were about six and a half feet tall and looked like small dragons. They had scaly skin, yellow eyes, spikes or ridges down their back. She thinks they had short tails, but she could not see their backs and was too scared to rise up from her bed to look further. She got to where after work she would stay at the roller rink or the bowling alley till they were closed, and then she'd finally go home. The reptilians would be waiting. She tried to sleep in her car, but it got too cold. She was terrified of them. On January 7th, 62, she ran out of her house in her gown and coat at 3.30 a.m. and jumped into her car, wanting to get away from the sight of them. She was pulling out of her driveway when her sister pulled up and blocked her in. She went home with her sister, where she slept for three days and nights straight. She would not go back to that house, so she... So her brother and sister moved her stuff out and Joy went back to Texas. 
When she was visiting me in 1994, I showed her a book of ETs that included pictures of reptilians. She said that is what she saw. That was the last time she saw them until 1996, when one appeared to her one night. She was not asleep, and she was not supposed, to, or she was not surprised. So maybe in some higher level, she was prepared for his appearance at this time. This time he spoke to her. He explained that they never intended to hurt her. They were just watching her, interested in her. One day, the reptilian appeared on her TV screen as she was channel surfing. She was, he was between channels. He didn't say anything. He was just there and gone. In 1997, she was at work caring for an elderly homebound lady when a reptilian appeared in the doorway. He was there for a short time, didn't speak, just looked at her for about five minutes, then left. In July 1998, she had her final visit to the underground kingdom of... She had her first visit to the underground kingdom of the reptilians. She was resting on her bed when she was suddenly there, underground. She was confronted by the ruler of the reptilians. During their conversation, he said they were survivors of the original dinosaur race who fled underground when an event happened that caused the dinosaurs to become extinct. As the time passed, they got smaller in stature. They are still vegetarians. They eat roots and such. They do not eat meat. She asked him what his name was, and he said her tongue would not say the words. So she asked, how about Leo? He asked what Leo meant, and she told him it meant King. He liked that, so she started calling him King Leo. He wanted to know if he could touch her arm. She was concerned about his fingernails. They were long. He told her she could call them claws because that's what they were. His touch was cold but gentle. He wanted to know what love feels like. She explained it was an emotion that causes one to care for the well-being of others as oneself. He said they don't have that emotion. They just procreate. He said they have the same creator God we do. Even then, he wanted to know if they came to the top side, would humans accept their appearance? She said she didn't know, but there were some ETs coming from other planets that don't look like us, and there will be some that we call reptoids among them. After landings, possibly humans would be more prepared for the appearance of the underground reptilians. He said they would discuss it and try to come with a decision as to whether they could come above ground and live in harmony with the rulers, with, uh, without being rulers. On August 14, 1999, she found herself in King Leo's presence underground once again. They decided that some of them would come and live topside and experience the light and live among us in harmony but most would rather remain in their home environment. There are about 1.5 million of them living underground. He asked if we could put a message out to see if humans could accept their appearance. This is the reason for this message. He is very congenial, likable, and pleasant to communicate with. Now they are waiting to find out what our response will be. So we would appreciate your reaction. They will not just suddenly pop up and frighten us. He agrees that they will wait until the landing. Uh, he would wait until the landings. He asked if they could learn to love. Joy said she didn't know. The other night, when Joy turned her light out to retire for the night, he said a lot of humans think that they are evil just because they live in the dark. He asked if we turn into evil beings when we turn off our lights or in the dark of the night. Joy had to laugh. Joy and I pray someday all God's children, including the underground ones, can live in peace and harmony without radical, radical prejudice and fear. 
but unconditional love and one spiritual family. Joy had further communication with King Leo today in response to the question I asked regarding the differences between the humans and the reptilians. There is a difference, he said. Reptoids are the of, are of a different race outside of this galaxy. Underground reptilians are no more connected to them than we are. He said that there are none of his kind on any other planets. His particular strand, of course. They originated here. The evil ones of his race are underground, but in different areas and different leader. They even had separation, disassociation, and disinterest among their own kind. Then they become interested in Joy because of her vibrations, vibrational frequency and began watching her. The interest persisted until finally they decided to speak with her, and the first thing they said was they never, they never intended to hurt her. Now they are willing to accept that human Humankind and reptilian are connected through spirit because we are all from the same source, God. And some are considering coming to the light and contacting the above ground beings. But then, it is the time for all of God's children to get adequated. Time grows short, this planet presents present form of being, and we must all prepare to ascend with it into the next dimension or be left behind. The reptilians will really like to be accepted topside. When humans can accept, that they exist and do not come with evil intent. That's a long story to read, and I don't believe a bit of it. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> it's nice to think of it, but it well, an interesting thing about it is a lot of the stuff that's mentioned in that story is actually mentioned mentioned in that um, documentary. I was or that not documentary, but that um, interview with the reptilian. Yeah. So I don't know if the, whoever wrote this listened to that interview or whoever made that interview tape read this but there are a lot of similarities like with the dinosaurs and the the events that happened topside and all that stuff that yeah. killed off the dinosaurs next little bit i'm going to get into is david ike and anybody who has ever read anything or heard anything from david ike knows that david ike is deep into reptilians david ike is a top researcher in the reptilian theory he believes that reptilian rate the reptilian race controls the human world he believes that they are more of a spectral being that lives in a parallel universe, but they are able to travel to ours using ESP and mind control. Some of the well-known reptilians are the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Bushes, the Windsors, the Clintons, the Obamas, and even the Trumps. He also, or it is also a theory of Ike's, that the Knights Templar actually were in charge of keeping the reptilians a secret from the world. Hellier also lists some of these same people in his theories about the the Kabbalah, placing the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the Bushes at the head of this group. Basically, their goal is the New World Order. That's about all I'm going to dig into with Ike's. Ike goes deep, deep, deep into this reptilian theory. He's gone so far he can't get himself out. Yeah, he's 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 deep in it. Um but that's kind of the theory with the reptilians is that they are that is his theory with the reptilians that they are controlling the world. Yeah. And you can go on YouTube and you can see videos of possible reptilians. You can see them shape shift or slightly shape shift on TV their eyes go weird or their face does something funny or, you know, randomness. Uh, the reptilian 
theory and conspiracy theory is probably one of my favorite conspiracy theories out there. Just because it's actually relatively believable in a sense. I think it's because you can definitely see the connection between the world powers. And how they all seem to share the same bloodlines. Like the Bushes and the Obamas are actually related to the Windsors somehow. Through, you know, 15th cousins once removed and whatnot and so on. Now, yeah. Chad and I, according to Ancestry.com, are related to Henry VIII. Oh, so, yeah. therefore, we could very well be reptilian. We were the bastard children of Henry VIII, though. So. Well, we weren't. Well, we weren't. We're like the bastard great 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 children of Henry VIII. That's my theory on reptilians. Not my theory. That's Ike's theory on reptilians. That's the history of reptilians. I think there's something believable to the dinosaur thing. I mean, it's at least another explanation for it. Yeah. What I like most about the stories you found were that it almost contradicts the personality of what a reptilian should have, which in turn makes them more like uh, like an advanced type species, like, like humans in a way where, you know, you got some people that are... Some people are assholes and some aren't. Yeah, yeah. You got good much. people and you got bad people and yeah. And then you got a lot of apathetic people and a lot of you know, yeah. people that just don't really care how things are going to play out. I find it interesting that this race of dinosaurs has been living underground for millions of years speaks English. <laughs> yeah, you start just thinking it every time Joy, Delight, or whatever her name Joy, is. Joy, Delight. Sees <laughs> the... Blizzard King, you just don't hear, welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, that story was um, The whole time that story, but... I was thinking of, I was picturing the Geico Gecko <laughs> as a lizard, as a lizard every time. Every time. Well, I, I had to stop there because I thought I was getting into a little bit of reptilian erotica. <laughs> <laughs> he touched my skin and it was gentle. He wanted to know what love is. <laughs> But hey, I mean, lizards need love too. What's funny is lizards are probably one of my least favorite animals. Love snakes. Think snakes are so cool. See, another way. Don't like lizards. lizards Don't like lizards. I don't know. Take away the legs. I'm okay with it. You put legs on it. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our alien races episode. If you've got anything you want to add, correct, change, whatever, go ahead and email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. If you would do us a favor and go onto iTunes and rate us and review us, that helps us get in more ears. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at umpnormalcy. Or you can go to our Patreon and donate to our podcast as well. We've got one Patreon right now. We'd love to have some more. Dave's going to have some bonus content on the alien races. Um, Chad and I are going to do some other stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. We're looking into it. And we appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Until next time. Keep digging.